This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Well, I'll clean up the intro and at least pronounce your name right once or twice in the interview. <laughs> we'll leave the rest to... That's <laughs> all right. Welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm your host, Jonathan Master. We are delighted to welcome Dr. Calvin Traup today. Dr. Traup is the president of Geneva College in Beavers Falls, Pennsylvania. He has had a distinguished career both outside of academia and consulting and on Capitol Hill. And then within the academy, he worked for Penn State and Indiana University and then was the director of the rhetoric PhD program at Duquesne University. But it's not his scholarly research or even his work as a president that concerns us today because in addition to being a husband and a father and a grandfather and president of a college, Dr. Traup is an elder at Grace Reformed Presbyterian Church in Gibsonia, Pennsylvania. And today we have invited him to discuss with us the role of an elder. So Dr. Calvin Traup, thanks for joining us today. It's wonderful to be here with you, Jonathan. I want to start with a really basic question. What is the role of an elder in a local congregation? Well, I, I think that's it's, a, it's an important place to start because when we look at the book of Acts and we listen to the accounts of what's happening through the, the ministries that are going on, there's this phrase that recurs a couple times, and, and it is that they appointed elders in every town. And it doesn't say they appointed pastors. In fact, we kind of have to guess sometimes who the pastor is or who the pastors are in a given situation, but there are elders in every place. And so it's clear that Christ ordained for his church to be ruled by elders and to be ruled by elders in the plural, so a plurality of elders. One of the ways I think about this is I played football in high school and college, and I was an offensive lineman. And one of the things that offensive linemen do when they're doing their best work is they create space in time for the skill players, for the quarterback, the running backs, the wide receivers to do their job. You might think of offensive linemen as people who are always trying to hit people. And of course, I enjoy doing that a lot. But what, what you're really practically trying to do is create space and time for people that are more skilled athletes to do their work. And that's what ruling elders do. We create space and time for pastors to do the work that they're particularly gifted in. And that's a lot of fun when you have a great preacher like the people that have been pastors that I've worked with to just enjoy and be part of the congregation, but create context for them to do that great work. But it's also important to protect for the ruling elders to protect the pastor. And in every context that I've been in and with many of my close friends who are in the pastor and elsewhere, it's very easy for people to turn on a pastor. Um, in fact, I know of, of many contexts in a number of churches where pastors have been accused of lying and deceit when they've done nothing of the sort. What they have done in many cases is provide guidance or care that then somebody's not appreciative of, maybe said hard things that were true and necessary to be said. But the reality is that pastors are very much at risk and very vulnerable. Sometimes those attacks may feel only spiritual, but in many cases, the kinds of attacks that are levied at pastors are, are quite practical. 
And it's important for ruling elders not to be silent or passive in those cases, um, and certainly not to become mediators. Uh, Timothy clearly talks about giving the eldership and the teaching elders the benefit of the doubt and not to allow divisive people to take liberties with the pastor is an important role. I can remember one context in which I was after a sermon, someone behind me was asking very leading questions of another person about the pastor's sermon in a derogatory way. And I intervened and said something and the person said, oh, you don't have to defend the pastor. And I said, in fact, I do need to defend the pastor. He opened the word faithfully today and I'm a ruling elder. And this conversation, I didn't say this conversation needed to stop. I didn't have to say it. Mm. But But the point is, it's an important role for ruling elders to be attentive that way. Now, you mentioned the relative ambiguity about the pastoral office compared with the office of elder in the book of Acts. In many of our listeners' churches, the pastor or the pastoral staff has a kind of absolute power, or or they're they're sort of in, in control. What role do elders have in interacting with the minister or with other, I'll say, paid staff members in a, in a congregation? Well, the idea that there are pastors is also a very important biblical idea, and that some of the elders are committed to the ministry of the gospel in a special way is an important part of how churches function. And so I've been the search committee chair on on uh, various search committees, one of them uh, a pastoral search committee, and the first thing that we talk about in that context is what is it that the pastor can do that only the pastor can do? And in this historical moment and our understanding from the scripture, in especially Presbyterian context, but many other contexts, there are certain things like opening the word of God and preaching every week and doing things like celebrating the sacraments and leading in the celebration of communion and baptizing people. And all of those things are things that we want the teaching elder or the pastor to do. And we're glad (laughs) for those men to be leading in that kind of way. The governance of the church is a shared kind of thing. So we have this, people think about it, talk about it in different ways, but The ruling elder's role is really to provide strong support for the work of the church, including supporting the pastor. So they're in terms of ruling, they're working collaboratively with the pastor, and then the pastor has specific duties that you know, as you said, you're glad to have a minister of the gospel doing in terms of administration of the sacraments and the regular preaching of the word of God. So it's not a tiered system where the pastor's calling the shots and the elders are sort of carrying out his wishes. It's it's much more collaborative than that. Absolutely. And the elders bear responsibility for what's being preached along with the pastor. So when we have this picture in Acts where the elders appoint deacons so that the elders together can oversee the preaching and teaching of the word. That's a plural activity, even if the pastor is the one who is leading in that. And so, for instance, in every congregation I've ever been a part of, we don't want the ruling elders to make 
unilateral choices and impose them on the pastor of what should be preached when and that sort of thing. We do collaborate and want to be able to be thinking together, what does this congregation need to be hearing? What, you know, for example, if we're looking at preaching, our preachers often want to rotate, not only preach from just the Gospels or just the Psalms or just the Epistles. That's a healthy thing. It's good to have elders around to say, you know, over the last five years, we've made it through two of the Gospels. Perhaps it would be helpful to the congregation if we always also had something opened up from the Epistles or, or maybe go through Genesis or something. Yeah, and in terms of oversight of doctrine, too, uh, it sounds to me like the picture you're painting and the picture that you're expressing from the New Testament is one in which um, if there is a doctrinal problem or question or some teaching that's happening in some segment of the congregation that is problematic, it's the elders as a whole who are responsible for making sure that's dealt with in a proper way. So in other words, it's not just the pastor exercising doctrinal oversight of the congregation, it's all the elders exercising that um, doctrinal oversight. Absolutely. And uh, one of the things that becomes very important in the kind of real ministry that needs to happen in congregations is that as the pastor and as the elders engage other folks in the congregation, that that happens with um, the presence of more than one elder in most cases. So that when shepherding is done, we want to both strengthen that work with members of the congregation, but also protect the pastor and protect one another by not having someone going off the reservation on their own, or to have them be in a position where it's easy for people to say outside of someone's presence, well, this is what this guy said to me uh, as an individual, but rather that we work together and we have accountability and, and, and we have support for one another. Yeah, it's the kind of thing my kids used to try with my wife and I, pitting us <laughs> off against one another. You've served as an elder for a number of years. What are some things you wish you'd understood better when you were first ordained to this office? I was blessed to have older men that went ahead of me, both in my family and in churches where I could see the public side of what it means to be an elder, and to sometimes know some of the issues that are being dealt with. But I think that the thing that I would have liked to have better understood would be the real commitment that it takes to do actual ministry with people who are in distress that can't be pushed off on the pastor. Because there are so many different kinds of issues that people face that are personal, but also spiritual and that affect the life of the body that have to be handled with great discretion by elders with the pastor. Those things take real time. They bear real fruit for the congregation, either good or bad, and for the name of Christ, and are much more important than what some people might think about having big theological debates. You have to have a strong theological ground, but an awful lot of the work of the ministry is not theological definitions and splitting hairs theologically. It's rolling up one's sleeves and working from that basis in the lives of people to help them grow in Christ. Along those lines, I'm wondering how you have 
worked in guiding your own family through this big responsibility that you have as an elder. Uh, some elders who reach out to me are pastors as well, of course, who, who reach out have a difficult time trying to guide and shepherd their family through the fact that they do have to be available for all these kinds of shepherding situations, and they may even be faced with criticism that members of the congregation who aren't elders are not faced with. So how have you kind of guarded your own heart and guarded the heart of your family as you've continued on in this in this role? Jonathan, I think the first thing is that being involved as a member of a congregation and then being involved in leadership in the congregation is not one of many activities that need to be balanced with everything else. It's a primary commitment that takes precedence over most other commitments in life. So it's not a time management piece. I'm dedicated to my family and I'm going to make sure I spend time with them. When I have responsibilities at church, I'm often called to do that in ways that from the outside would appear sacrificial. But in reality, other things have to move out of the way for my family in other ways. And so it does mean that families have to adjust, but it's a higher commitment The things we say yes to to Christ, serving in the church is a top priority. You know, I was really struck by the fact that I was not able to find a place where the scriptures say, leave the church for your family. But I have found places where the scripture says you may need to leave brother and sister and family members and houses for the sake of the gospel. Thankfully, I haven't been asked to do that, but it sets up a kind of order that means Christ is building his church. The church is not just a collection of families. The church collects families. (laughs) So my family's committed to that, and it's my job to make sure that they don't get short shrift by me giving other things higher priority than I should give to them. Last question. What resources would you recommend either about the biblical doctrine of elders or about the actual on-the-ground duties of an elder? What sorts of books or or other things have been helpful to you? Well, I think it's important for elders to really work through not only the confessional and catechetical standards in their own churches, but also to look at the directories for church government and and that kind of thing. I think that's very important. There's a great book that is may not be in print that we use with when we have an elder apprenticeship program at our church. When we're bringing people on, we take a number of months and work through some things with them. And the title of the book is The Elder's Handbook. It was published in the early 80s by some very faithful elders in the Christian Reformed Church at the time. They may be URC now. That is a wonderful book. It's a wonderful book because it's kind of like premarital counseling, moving you through categories that you wouldn't have thought of that you really need to think about as you enter a new institution and the eldership. They do a wonderful job uh, in that book. Those Those are two things I would start with. That's a very helpful starting place. And Dr. Troop, thank you very much for your time today. All right. Thank you. 
The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals is supported by donors like you. You can contribute on placefortruth.org or via alliancenet.org. And I want to say thanks again for tuning into Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. <laughs>